Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers hosted by me, Patrick, or Padamaro, and Hats on Lamps. We're a draft-focused podcast, but more importantly, it's episode 98, which means we are two episodes away from our episode 100 extravaganza that Hats has been planning for the last few weeks. And it is going to be so big, so exciting, that he actually hasn't even shared a single secret of what he has planned yet with me. So I, I'm in as much suspense as everyone here. <laughs> this is actively cruel what you're doing. <laughs> it's cruel to me. It's cruel to our, our listeners. <laughs> see? Do you see how cool he's playing at listeners? Wow. Wow. I, I really cannot wait. But um, since he's obviously not going to spill the beans, I guess we'll just get right into the show. So I'm Patrick, Potamaro in game. This is Hats on Lamps, Hats on Lamps in game. Like I said, we're a draft-focused <laughs> podcast. And this week, and I swear we've tried to do this for the last two or three weeks, we're going to talk about the uncommons. The uncommons? I know. Unfortunately, Hats and I didn't get much sleep last night. And the uncommons in this set are total snooze fest, so we might not make it through the whole episode, but we're going to do our best. What does not make it through the whole episode mean in this context? I don't know. What if we both fall asleep and the episode, in fact, goes on for hours? We just wake up the next morning. Everyone's going to wake up to an 18-hour episode. Yeah, they'll get pretty excited. And it's impossible to edit these. We just put them up exactly as they're recorded. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be uh, sort yeah, of this weird that's not too far from the truth but... it'll be this weird <laughs> like meta meta analysis of the uncommons where it's 16 hours of silence <laughs> like this is what we think of them and then and then nothing yeah. <laughs> great and then we'll we'll recommend it to all the new people who join the discord yeah we sure will <laughs> But yeah, like I said, we're going to talk about the Uncommons. Uh, this is kind of an interesting set for the Uncommons, uh, because last set we had trouble evaluating how we usually do, because we usually talk about, you know, compare the Uncommons to the top common. And last set it was Basher, and there was um, there were definitely some Uncommons you took above Basher, but it was sort of a tough bar to clear. And we have the same problem in this set, too. I uh, mean... To a lesser extent in that, I don't know if it's more powerful than Basher, the top common, but the uncommons are less powerful than Autotread and Nectar of Unlife. And yeah, there, I don't think there's a single uncommon that stands out the way the, the best uncommons did in the last set. Yes. But Urza Squadron is a tough bar to, uh, to clear. So we have I love that you keep saying Urza Squadron as though Ursa, it's a Magic the Ursa, Gathering character. It's Urza Squadron? What is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's Ursa Squadron. Ah, uh, yeah. It's riding a bear. <laughs> yeah, I, it's Ursa I Squadron. I, what's really funny is I say Urza, but I've never actually played um, a single magic card with, <laughs> with the sure. word Urza in it. Yeah, it's just in our collective unconscious, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. So uh, before we get to that, though, we have a few housekeeping to do. Uh, First, we plug our patron over at patreon.com slash farmingeternal, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can gain access to our show notes, recording bloopers, you and uh, get a shout out on 
the uh, show. So thank you to our patrons, Demo, Steve Irwin, Cotillion, Loki Trickster, Mercurial Blue, Abinigo, Meagles, Madness, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hacks, Jed the Hamrid, Raven Dragon, Asterid0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yistow. And uh, last week I, I, I claimed that Demo had received uh, their food, uh, hoping it would motivate me to send the food before I release the episode. I failed to do that, but still released the episode to everyone's it's benefit. Da- it's a dangerous path. <laughs> but by the time this episode goes out, I swear. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it is in the mail. It's going to be worth it. It's homegrown food. On a farm. Yes. It's as guaranteed as this episode 100 extravaganza plans. Which you also invented. <laughs> so, this is great. This is great stuff. All right. So, uh, how's your ha- uh, how's how's your hats week, uh, hats? My draft week. Yes. Uh, good. Uh, I am once again uh, numerically unable to do better than I'm doing. Uh, I finally reclaimed the number one <laughs> spot on the on the draft ladder, uh, and I think it's actually interesting how I did that because um, I have been up and down with this format. I think a lot of the people are in our Discord have been expressing frustration lately about this format. Um, they feel like it's really swingy. They have like days where they are just losing and losing and losing, and then their next day they're winning and winning and winning, and it doesn't seem like they're, um, they're changing their strategy or card evaluation significantly. It just feels random. And I was having that feeling as well on and off um i think i said so in the last episode and uh and then i and then i i made a shift and started winning a lot and uh it's i i have to attribute this to better up um who uh was number one and probably will be again this month and uh i i i tuned into one of his twitch streams and a an inexperienced viewer of his Twitch stream asked some pretty open-ended questions about the draft format. Like, just basically, what's your strategy? <laughs> Probably somebody who was very lost. And and BetterUp did his absolute best to answer that, which was really actually quite wonderful to see, because it's a difficult question to answer. What's your strategy in draft? And he basically said... Like, I draft as low and aggressive a curve as humanly possible. As many two drops as I can pack in a deck. Dramatically fewer three drops. Almost no four and five drops. Um, you know, uh, and, 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 really, and really focus on um, making a deck as aggressive as possible. Uh, to the point where you're playing, like, vanilla two threes and, and stuff in your, in your deck over, over cards that in another format might be considered uh, more interesting or powerful. So I started doing that. And uh, what do you know? <laughs> Lo and behold, I started just winning constantly. Uh, and that doesn't can, say a can lot. Can I cut in quick? Yeah, please do. So um, does this strategy go beyond just fire and shadow? Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the first one of the I I, I had a Combray deck that was and I think Combray uh, some 
Combray seems to be working for people as an expensive deck where you get a populist controller down. That's a six drop. You're trying to get up to seven so you can play Behold the Truth. Uh, and I'm not saying that those strategies are wrong, but the deck that I got seven wins with in Combray, uh, I, I believe the curve stopped at four. Like I got up to that four, four for four that you can play, and that's it. And everything else was just some dumb thing that could attack. You know, I played like 15 power uh, because I had the the one drop that can pay two to draw a justice sigil, and I had like three of those in the deck. It was devastatingly effective, you know? Like, it was really good. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I don't have to play good cards. I just have to be able to play all of my cards. And and then I've done it with Skycrag a couple of times, uh, which are two of the best decks that I've had, just Fire Primal. I've done it with, um, uh, let's see, I've done it with Argentport, uh, where it's just Justice and Shadow, and it's mostly one-drops. Um, a couple of those decks have been probably after the Skycrag decks, my strongest decks. So I'm just, I've just totally started reevaluating uh, most of the commons in the set based on how well they fit into that style of deck. And I'm not super thrilled that aggro is so good in this format because I like a format to be more balanced. I don't want to draft aggro every time. But uh, I just wanted to start winning again more consistently, and and it's worked really well for me. Mm -hmm. So where does the like interaction and removal and uh, you know combat tricks fit into this equation? They're good. Um, I like the most efficient ones. So expensive removal has gone way down on my pick order, but a lot of the removal in this format is really efficient. Okay. So are are you still playing cards like Gun Down or Send to Market? Yeah, uh, Send to Market is a tough sell for me right now because uh, I don't like my curve to depend on my six drops. But Gun Down is still is still a good way of getting rid of big blockers because one way you can get shut down if you're playing a really low to the ground deck is by somebody just putting down one big blocker and it, you can't get rid of it. So having gun down or other ways of getting rid of big things, especially if they have lifesteal or endurance or something that makes them really hard to deal with, uh, is to is, is to have a couple of big removal spells. I mean, it's I would rather have a topple than gun down because it'll kill the same thing and it'll do it for three power instead of five, but, it'll, um, but I'll still play a gun down for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, because you establish your board presence, and then your your expensive cards are removal to get rid of your opponent's attempts to stabilize. It fits into the game plan. And has this changed your view of Topple a little bit? I know in the last episode you had kind of talked about how Topple felt like a card you didn't want to have too many copies of. Oh, I still don't want too many copies because you don't. If you're playing a super aggressive deck, you don't have to kill a bunch of large blockers. You only have to kill one or two, and you win the game. Mm -hmm. So you're still you just need a couple, uh, one or two cop topples. Yeah, I don't think I would play more than two copies of topple. Okay. So so not like the person who recently posted a deck list in the seven win uh, in the Discord with six topples. That's that's not you. <laughs> Probably not. I'm not saying that that's a bad idea necessarily, but I know it's not something that I would be going for because in the end, topple is good interaction, but it doesn't do damage to your opponent's face. I need a certain amount of a certain number of cards that do that. 
And if I'm playing six topples, it doesn't leave enough room for, for face damage. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go through my draft week really quickly. So because okay. my card of the week kind of relates to this topic a little bit. Okay. Uh, I've, I've had a whole bunch of three threes in a bunch of different uh, archetypes. And uh, I currently have a very aggressive Stone Scar deck. I was 3-0. I am now 3-1 because I lost to Cosimo, who um, played a Jufi, which uh, uh, they kept concealed for a while. So I assumed it was a giant, uh, uh, the like growing the ooze, yeah. growing ooze thing. Yeah, I thought it was the growing ooze thing. So, uh, so I uh, did something to it to reveal it, thinking I could. I could. I was like fine with uh, with one big unit. My deck could get around that, but then it was Jufi, and then they ran out of cards, and I was finally going to kill them. And then they drew a Dragon's Eye and drew three more cards, and then I lost the game. Yeah, you can't really play around stealth legendaries. It's just not a thing. I mean, I, I don't know how you play around Jufi anyway, because that's the one three that puts. Uh, if you play it for five power, puts three dragon eyes which draw three cards for zero power right yes yeah so deck. you the only way to play around it is to hope they do not draw a draw three for zero power yeah it's a good time to have ransack in your deck and just randomly spike a dragon's eye from your opponent's deck <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah but i i'm i'm still feeling positive for the future of this deck that's good yeah stone scrolls a good deck um all right, and so, it lends itself very, very smoothly to the whole ultra aggro uh, approach, since half of the shadow cards can are are, are designed for that. Yes, and uh, and which leads to my card of the week, which is a shadow card that was, uh, in it's in the draft packs and was never really a good card, though it's appeared in a whole bunch of draft packs since its release and that is faceless one which is the one shadow two one cultist that says faceless one can't block and then if you have a single shadow influence it says if faceless one is discarded play it from your void um so this is a card that you've mentioned a, a whole bunch recently and i've seen like um very positively and it's been in a whole bunch of your deck lists yes and um, and we've been sort of on the discord and, you know, conversationally talking about how aggressive this format is. So it seems like faceless one is playable. Is that, yeah, I think it's, I think it's positioned better than it ever has been before. Uh, yeah. And, and I don't know, uh, if I would just sort of throw it in every deck because it does have that huge disadvantage um, of, of not being able to defend you in a pinch. Uh, but the fact that it just sort of... Like, if you're playing a very aggressive deck, getting a free 2-1 on the board, even one that can't block, uh, is a massive advantage, because it lets you just a space to win. <laughs> and, right. Um, and and uh, the tools to make a really devastating discard deck that 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 uh, establishes a massive board presence as early as turn two are there now because you have dark water vines boosted in the um, in the draft packs and you have things like awakening 
which is the one justice spell uh, where you discard a card to make two one ones with valor. So I've had decks with a bunch of like dark water vines and faceless ones and awakening, which will have a turn like turn one dark water vines, turn two dark water vines awakening, and then both dark water vines become two ones with regen, and now I have. Uh, two two one dark water vines with regen, two one ones with awakening, and then the dark water vines mill eight cards from my deck. And if they hit any faceless ones, that's another unit that I have. And this is turn two. Yeah. So because you can do ludicrous things like that now, uh, faceless one is sort of in this great position uh, where it it can actually, um, it, where it actually feels like part of a real deck instead of like a cute thing that your deck can also do it's like occasionally i discard faceless one and get a free thing to sacrifice to something else no it's a legitimate threat now because you can put down so much board presence so quickly however it does kind of need to go in a deck that has a lot of discard synergy because it's a lot better as something that plays itself for free than it is as a as a one drop Mm -hmm. so in general you you you're only really interested in this card if you do have some density of enablers, some discard yeah. outlets. Yeah, uh, just have just making it as a one drop is okay, but uh, but I I'm not like looking to pick this thing up. There's enough strong one drops in the format that you don't need faceless one. Um, but if I do have a, a lot of enablers, then yeah, this is something that I'm like hoping to get. Mm-hmm. So. Like a a card to compare from the last format is Fresh Recruit. So like, is Fresh Recruit a card that you're putting, which is the one cost two one uh, in time, is that a card you'd be putting in your aggressive Combray decks? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Combray doesn't have as many good one drops, and uh, I don't think there's anything else that has two power right off the bat, except for Awakening. So yeah, I would... um, if, If my Combray deck really, really wants to be attacking... And I think that's a good strategy for Combray. Then, yeah, Fresh Recruit goes in there. And okay. it's boosted now, so you'll get Fresh Recruits. Right. Okay. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. Um, so this is, uh, this is a, a bonus pick. This is just a card that I think, <laughs> totally due to variance, I've either opened or have been passed about three copies this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at least one... <laughs> one up to two in every draft that I've done uh, this week. And that's the rare uh, Imar Dark Summoner, uh, which is a two Xenon, two one. And it says, your units cost two less. Tell me more. Um, Actually, don't tell me anymore, please. (laughs) (laughs) And then also, when you play another unit, the enemy player plays a minus two, minus one curse on it. Yeah. Yeah. so this, yeah. So this is <laughs> this card is part of some constructed combos. So uh, I think because of that, I get like some like ah maybe I don't know maybe this could do something. You know, it's a constructed playable card. And if if you could defend diplomatic immunity, I feel like if there's anyone out here who could defend this card, because I I actually keep like talk. I'm like, well, you know what, like. If you think of a, like a populist controller, right? Uh, that's a six cost six six. You know, a four cost four five with valor. That seems like a pretty good card still. 
Yeah, it does. Um, I don't think I can defend this, though. <laughs> I, I think it means Xenon doesn't have a rare and limited, basically. Uh, because there's too many other cards that... The, the trouble is that uh, that Imar doesn't let you choose. Like, if you have a unit in your hand that you would rather doesn't cost two less, but is full <laughs> size, you can't play it that way. It's just like your opponent can just like let Amar stay on the board and then all of your units are worse. <laughs> so yeah. I just don't see how it could ever work. It's really a combo card that they put it. I really wish that they had made it a legendary just for limited purposes because Xenon is already one of the weaker um, archetypes for draft and, uh, and, and just having no rare to speak of uh, makes it worse. Okay. All right. So I should continue to resist and continue to pass this card. No, no. You should draft it and see how how it goes for you. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been doing enough drafts recently to really <laughs> indulge your curiosity. Yeah. 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 No. Uh, all right. So what is your pick of the week? Or I'm going to choose ransack. Ransack is a two shadow spell. Uh, it says discard a card to draw the top two cards of the enemy player's deck. I had a lot of resistance towards playing this, but I have to admit that it actually plays pretty well in um, in, a, in a shadow deck. I don't know how many of them I want to play, but I played two in one of my uh, in one of my Argentport decks, and it really played quite well. It gets rid of an additional sigil. Sometimes you get like two sigils from your opponent's deck, and then it's a bummer. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of Warcry in this format. We saw uh, I saw an interesting sort of exchange on our Discord about this. I th- I think like because you can grab you can grab something that's gotten a couple of Warcry bonuses from the top of your opponent's deck. And there was somebody I don't remember who on our Discord who said, "Well, I don't think that's really a legitimate argument because you might just be drawing your opponent." closer to their Warcry unit rather than grabbing it. And I think that that's partially true, but uh, sort of the way that milling cards off of the top of your opponent's deck uh, doesn't actually change what they're going to draw. But I do think that it's a little different with Warcry and other Warcry-like bonuses because um, your opponent has now has a card in their deck relatively near the top that has unfair bonuses on it. And having the chance of drawing that card is much better than having a chance of drawing two random cards. So I think that anytime your opponent has a Warcry bonus, or uh, if your opponent has a, a, a unit that has Killer on it because they played an Openway Supplier, then playing Ransack and having a chance of getting their unfairly buffed card is better than just getting two random cards from their deck. So timing it well is really good. And then when it comes down to it, there's a lot of discard synergy in this format, and being able to discard on purpose something like a Path Cutter or a, a Faceless One or Inquisitive Alchemist um, is super good. Yeah, the, uh, the only thing that I, that's interesting to me is, you know, it, this card I, like... If you just read it, I don't think reads is a card you're putting in a super aggressive deck, which or you know this isn't necessary. This isn't a tempo card. 
That's true. Uh, except the reason why it feels playable in an aggressive deck is because it draws two cards for two power, which is an incredibly efficient way of doing that. Yes. And if you're in a very aggressive deck, flooding is a constant danger. Because if you flood in an aggressive deck, you lose. And Ransack lets you convert flood into possibly playable cards. Right. All right. Yeah. No, that's cool. I mean, this is a card that I I kind of have liked, but it's interesting that you're also playing this in aggressive decks. Yeah. Uh, it was a tough sell for me, actually. I just saw it in a few decks that people had posted to our, our seven win channel and thought, well, I'm not going to argue with, with these people's results. I'm going to give it a shot myself. And it played really well for me. It's hard to find room for it because, again, like, yeah, it's not a card that directly does damage. And I do want to uh, have most of my cards in an aggressive deck do that. Uh, but the, the, the flood insurance aspect of it is really what pushes it for me. Right. All right. So then on to our seven win run breakdown. This is where um, we actually get all these deck lists that we've been talking about. People can send in their seven win decks to either our email address at farmingeternal at gmail.com or in our seven win channel, the Farming Eternal Discord in either exported deck list or any kind of eternal uh, eternal war cry link. And then we take this information and we compile it into a spreadsheet to see what factions are doing well, uh, as well as like what cards are showing up more in the seven win decks that our listeners send in. Uh, and then you also get a shout out on the show. So this week we have no new contributors, but our veteran contributors are Abed Nago, Apricot Knight, Argo Control, Beard Broken, Collector, Cotillion, Darth Herman 2, D. Vincent, Dwiggy, Frafa, Full Robot, Gunner 116, Hats on Lamps, Low Key Trickster, Madness, Meavers, Old Rich, SSJ1997, Steve Irwin, Tempest Dragon King, Vader, and Who Does That? So thank you everyone for sending in a list this week. Like we said uh, last week, uh, the the top colors that have been appearing in our, our decks is Justice at number one. Um, and then next was Fire Shadow, and then Time, and then Primal. So this week there's been some changes now that we've added another 40 plus, uh, oh, 50, 50 plus decks to the list. Um, and that is Justice has continued to increase its presence in our seven win decks. And shadow has gone down. And so time has um, sort of overtaken shadow into that second tier. So now it's justice is an 83 of 100, uh, 127 seven win decks. And then fire and time are in 53 of the 127 decks. So 41% or so. And then shadows 48 of the decks and primal is in 22%. So still staying strong in last place yeah uh, it, primal knows where it wants to be yeah it didn't it's not it's not more in last place than last week it's the exact same almost i'm good yeah uh yes so those were uh the big things i wanted to mention uh we continue to see a lot of cambrai ducks actually and uh Rakano had a good week. Stonescar, worse week than before, but it's it continues to be like the the top tier is Cambrai and Rakano, and then there's a second tier of 
uh, Stone Scar and Argent Port. And then there's a fifth tier of the other uh, six colors. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I've I've been doing well with Ricano myself in various forms. Um, so it's it, it's become kind of my go-to if a draft isn't going well. <laughs> it's just to say, well, I hope Ricano works out, and it usually does because the the factions are justice is so deep in in the in the fourth pack. And you can usually pick up something that fire can use somewhere. Like, you never get completely shut out, because even the bad fire and justice commons can at least go in your deck. Yeah, and then uh, the final thing I wanted to mention is uh, the top commons. Uh, just, uh, I'll read them out uh, again. Uh, there has not been much change. So fire, the top commons in our spreadsheet are Blitzstone, Rune of Flame, and Noah's Fury. In uh, time, it's Open Way Supplier, Populous Controller, and then sneaking into number three now is Telekinetic Shackles. Vindicated! Yeah. Yep. So, so your Telekinetic Shackles propaganda campaign has uh, finally bearing fruit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a sentence I never thought I would hear in my life. <laughs> on on several uh, levels, <laughs> and then in justice, it's uh, Ursa Squadron, Topple, and then Inquisitive Alchemist, mm-hmm. and then Primal Boiling Geyser, Ruin of Trickery, and Wild Azri. So Freight Azri still hasn't popped its head, even though it got buffed. I guess we should talk about that because that did happen this past week. That's true. We haven't talked about that yet. Yeah. Do we so, want to do that now, or do we want to finish the top covens? Oh, we can do that right now since we're talking about Primal. Let's do it. So Freight Azri is a uh, started life as a 1-4 flyer for 4 Primal um, with a summon ability that gives you an Aegis. So it gives you face Aegis when it comes into play. And it was a 1-4 flyer, and we all hated it. Uh, but then <laughs> in, in, a, in a round of adjustments that Direwolf made to the cards, they made basically one draft adjustment and then a whole bunch of constructed adjustments, and they buffed Freight Asri to a 2-4. So now it's a 2-4 flyer for 4, gives you a face Aegis, and it's pretty good. It's a playable card now. I think it's not as good as Wild Azri in most cases, because uh, when you have an evasive unit, usually you want the most strength for the least cost. And Wild Azri is a 2-1 for 2, Freight Azri is a 2-4 for 4. So you're getting the same amount of evasive damage uh, for half the price. And therefore Wild Azri is most of the time going to be better. But Freight Azri does block really well, uh, so it's it's similar to like the one five for four in time, and other things that kind of lock up the board if that's what you're looking to do, and getting the face just uh, it blocks a, a fair number of things. Like it, it completely makes your opponent's ransack look terrible. <laughs> for example, like oh no, <laughs> I have ransack in hand, and my opponent played a freight asri. Uh, that basically is just pure card advantage for them. Uh, it blocks detonation cannon. You know, de- no matter how many times you amplify a detonation cannon, you're doing zero damage to someone with a face aegis. So it just sort of incidentally is very good against a couple of things that aggro is trying to do. So that's nice. Um, 
I don't can't think of anything else, but there's probably a bunch of stuff that you want to do to your opponent's face that you can't if Freed Asri came into play. Yeah, like, no, I but so I, I think the big takeaway is the the card has obviously improved, but I don't think it's moved to the top primal common. No. Nor has it moved the primal needle that much. No, I agree with that. It re- it's still a four drop, and it's a little clunky. It's not something that is drawing you into primal, but it is nice to have another playable common if you are playing primal. But it's not. It's not. Uh, I was really excited about it at first, but then I had a deck with like four freight Asri's, and it was the clunkiest deck imaginable. So I'm not. I'm I'm over it. Like the honeymoon between freight Asri and me is over. Also, I kind of want to look up Asri to see if it's a real word and whether I'm pronouncing it correctly because I'm more and more uncomfortable with it the more I say it. <laughs> I I guess my my one my one thought my one hopeful thought is, uh, you know, often when the format is new, the aggressive decks are easier to um, figure out, and so we do have this like period of aggro just dominating a format and then as people get more comfortable drafting the format and figuring out how to stop aggro and slow the games down that happens and if that is something that happens in this format i do think freight asri could get better because um like you said it is a good blocker and the two health uh is helpful and so if people start figuring out how to say draft not even not even controlly, but just mid-range uh, Elysian decks and stuff successfully, you know, Freight Asri is going to be a great tool in that deck. I think the other thing that might happen is that the that Direwolf will change the draft packs, and that could make a significant difference in how good aggro is and open up the uh, the format for mid-range and, and control decks a little bit more because aggro has so many good tools in the draft packs right now. Um, it, it just makes the already aggressive cards in, in Revelations uh, harder to deal with. Yes. All right. Well, that's good. I'm glad we were able to say anything about Primal. Yeah. All right. And then next is Shadow. So Shadow also had uh, some, someone sneak into the top three. So number one is Glenn Pathcutter. Number two is Rune of Illusion. And number three is Thorncaller, which replaced... Oh, jeez, what is it called? Shadow Path Intimidator. Yeah, Shadow Path Intimidator, which is the 2-2 that can cause a unit not to be able to block for a turn or mill two cards from you or your opponent. So Thorncrawler now is above that, which is kind of surprising because I, I would take the two drop over Thorncrawler. Yeah, so would I. Uh, I think it's interesting that a card that can't block and has only one health and can therefore trade with anything is is that high. But in an, in a very very aggressive format, gaining four life and still having an attacker on the board um, if they didn't block it is is pretty good. It's just another one of those uh, shadow cards, shadow stealth cards that needs to be blocked though. Like all of them, all of the shadow common stealth cards need to be blocked right away (laughs) yes (laughs) because when they make contact with your opponent's face all of them make your opponent very sad the two two that draws a card makes your opponent sad the three two that grows plus one plus one and then the and then the one that gains four life thorn crawler uh and then is going to gain another four life the next time it attacks all of those are things that you wish you had blocked so 
If your opponent has shadow and only shadow influence and they play a th- turn three stealth card, block it. That's my advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but and and I think that's actually what makes Thorncrawler deceptively good is because since it has four attack, you know, the other two shadow uh, stealth units at common are pretty small. And so it's uh, it's fairly easy to block them, but then Thorncrawler can really screw up the math about whether you're able to profitably block. Yeah, you can't deal with it with a large... And yeah, yeah. you don't really want to block your uh, opponent's uh, stealth unit with a 4-4 four, four because it might be Thorncrawler, but then then you might be letting through uh, the, the guy that draws a card. So yeah, it does give them a, a bit of a conundrum if their only choice is to block with something and try to eat your attacker. Yes. I think Thorncrawler, for that reason, um, is a good mind game card. Yes. Uh, which is the only thing that I, I don't know if it's like the best card in the world, but in a world of races and mind games, which this format kind of is, uh, sure, good card. Yeah, and it is, uh, to be fair to it, a card that I've seen multiple people talk positively about, which is kind of surprising because it does, I think, read very poorly. It reads very similarly to uh, the card from a set or two ago, The or I guess last set, the, no, two sets ago, the Imbue Mandrake, the 4-1, that ended up being sort of worse, n- not super great, you're like, because yeah. it's a 4-1 that can't block. This is also a 4-1 that can't block. But it turns out just with the with the way this format is right now, it's surprisingly good. Well, I've always kind of been a fan of the lifesteal cards that can't block. Um, there was that uh, there was that wolf back in the days of Corrupted, the 3-3 three, three, the Blood Wolf that couldn't block and then reverse the, uh, the strength and health of a unit when it came into play. And I always really liked that. I took it above almost anything because um, a lifesteal unit doesn't have to block. It's already doing its job of of keeping you ahead in the in the race. All it has to do is attack, and then you can ignore uh, one of your opponent's attackers. So that's kind of what Thorncrawler is doing too. Is like your opponent has to deal with your Thorncrawler, and you can ignore their units because you're gaining four life per turn until they deal with it. Yes. Um, all right, uh, so on to our main topic, which, like I mentioned at the top of the show, is talking about the uncommons. So uh, first off, we talked about this last episode, but our three top commons, and let's see if you still agree with this list, is Ursa's Squadron, Topple, and Blitzstone. Uh, yeah, and I think that's basically fine. Uh, I think uh, in our in our spreadsheet, uh, Inquisitive Alchemist is higher than Blitzstone, isn't it? Or it used to be. Uh, yeah, Inquisitive Alchemist is higher than is higher than Blitzstone, but mostly that could also just be an artifact of there being a lot more Justice decks. Oh yeah, yeah. So I think Ursa Squadron Topple and Blitzstone are fine picks as the top three commons. It's kind of funny with Topple. I guess that it really. I mean, it really is a good card, um, but I never want. Because I want so many more units than I want removal in a typical deck, I uh, like I take the first couple of topples very high, and then they they dramatically drop off for me. But that doesn't mean that it's not a card that you want a couple of copies of in every in every Justice deck, which you do. So, yeah. So there we go. Those are our, those are our top comments. Yes. 
So then, like I said, like our usual format for this show, we were going to look at all the uncommons. We took over Ursa's squadron. And then we realized if we did that, it would be a very, very short show. Yeah. So then we moved down to Topple, realized still a pretty short show here. <laughs> yeah. So now we're going to do Blitzstone. So these are the uncommons that we would take over Blitzstone, pack one, pick one. Correct. I'll probably have all kinds of qualifications when we talk about these, but in general, that's the rule we're using. All right. So uh, we're, we're going to go in color order. So the first thing I'm going to do is, again, this is um, just read the... Did you want to say something? Yeah, let's just quickly remind people of what Blitzstone is. Uh, Blitzstone is a two fire relic uh, that does two damage uh, when it comes into play. And then when you play a unit, well, Blitzstone is in play. Blitzstone sacrifices and gives that unit plus one strength and charge for the turn. Yes. And so this is actually still quite a high bar because Blitzstone is a, a pretty well-costed removal spell that can kill uh, small aggressive units and help you in your aggressive game plan. So, um, you know, Blitzstone is particularly strong in this format, I think. Uh, and so that does, e even though it's our third best common, it does set quite a high bar for some of these uncommons to pass. Yes, but uncommons should be powerful. Yes. Though it is kind of interesting because what can happen with uncommons is because they're uncommon, uh, sometimes you'll put the bigger, more powerful cards in the uncommon slot. And if you're not really wanting to play five or six drops, you know, that can that can make the uncommons less desirable, which uh, happens in some cases here. But also some of the uncommons are just uh, don't seem particularly great. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, so first, we're going to start with fire, um, and so the the two the three uncommons that are doing best in our spreadsheet, and this is pretty low sample size uh, because we we have 124 decks, but uncommons are less common than common. So you know there'll still be some movement here in the future for these guys. But number one is Evoker, which is the three fire two three stealth ultimate at the start of your turn. Reveal Evoker to play Ruinous Burst. Uh, number two is Retrofitted Sentinel, which is the uh, four-cost fire, four-two, summon, give Retrofitted Sentinel charge, or give the top unit of your deck plus two, plus two. And number three is Raging Jackal, which is the one-fire, two-one, Valor. <laughs> Valor. It's a, it's a one-drop, two-one with Valor. That's all yeah. it is. It's also a Grenadin, which is occasionally relevant, but mostly it's a two-one with Valor. All right, so uh, how do you feel about this list? Well, it agrees with my list exactly, so I, I feel fine about it. Um, these are the... I, I hadn't looked at uh, what our top uncommons were before I made my list, uh, and this matches exactly. I just chose Raging Jackal and Evoker and Retrofitted Sentinel as the cards I would take over Blitzstone, and I think it's safe to say that that is uh, good. Those are good depicts. Uh, Raging Jackal is... A good one drop. Um, I've, I've begun to think of Valor as a um, as an ability that lets your cheap cards trade for more expensive cards. 
So Raging Jackal can be blocked and traded with by a lot of like one drops and two drops, but it also is able to attack profitably into basically all of the three drops. And um, that's where it gets its value, is that it's still relevant until your opponent starts playing four drops, which means they are, you know, they have to stop it um, with another card. And uh, and if you top deck it, it can still be relevant because maybe your opponent still doesn't have anything that can deal with it. It's a lot of aggression to play on turn one, um, along with some. I think path cutter is probably a little stronger, but uh, but raging jackal is just a little bit harder to to you know block and kill. And anytime you've got valor on a card, it makes anything that your opponent has that has one strength or less irrelevant. Yes. Yeah, that that's true. You know, the thing that I haven't been picking Raging Jackal very high before we sort of started preparing for this episode. And one of those thoughts is I've been having like a lot of trouble evaluating Valor on these units with one toughness because because I like I look at this and I think, well, this attacks is a two one. It trades into it. It still just trades with everyone's two drops and one, I guess, everyone's two drops. And that's what most people play. Most people don't play one drop. So the fact that it can, it, it can attack into one ones, um, you know, up to this format hasn't felt very important. So I, I just like kept evaluating Valor on this card pretty lowly because I'm like, well, it just, no matter how, you know, Valor doesn't mean it trade, it, that it kills a 2-2. You know, it just it it still trades just like a 2-1. Yeah, I, I think that's the big shift in, in my thinking that I think has been very helpful for me, is not thinking of Valor in its worst-case scenario, which is that they're able to uh, play, some, play like a 1 or a 2 drop that blocks and kills it, but thinking of it as a card that can, that can trade for 1s and 2s, but can also trade for 3s that its top end is is deceptively high. And that's what how I feel about Foot Soldier too, which is the common that's a 3-1 with Valor for two. Very similar to Raging Jackal. Um, and that can trade for for like it can attack it can't necessarily trade, but it can attack into anything up to like a five drop. Like most five drops in this game don't have more than five most five drops in this format don't have more than uh, for health, so foot soldier can still attack into them, even if they're trying to block it with a five drop, which is incredible value for a two drop. Um, you can counter it with a two drop, but um, it, it's a card like Valor cards are relevant much further into the game than non-Valor cards because you can top deck a brazen foot soldier and you're and you've made a bunch of trades early in the game and the only um, cards that your opponent is left with is their larger units and your foot soldier can still attack into them. So that's kind of where the value in Valor comes from uh, is that they are efficient ways of dealing with your opponent's more expensive cards. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, the the um, I think retrofitted Sentinel sort of explains itself. We've been talking about how aggressive this format is, and it can attack as a four-two charge when you need some f- 
final surprise damage, or it can buff your next unit when you just want to play a unit and then play a bigger unit. After. Yeah, just in terms of sheer numbers, it's it's six four for a cost of four. That's great. Yes. Yeah, Evoker is actually the one card where I'm a little iffy on. I think I would have taken Blitzstone before Evoker, just mainly because I haven't really been impressed with with stealth units that have two power. It just feels like they don't, like, two power just doesn't attack particularly well, and I do like playing a Ruinous Burst, but these, like, delayed triggers also uh, have sometimes been a little wonky for me. Yeah, the, the, the reveal triggers can feel pretty bad because there are a fair number of ways of revealing stealth units and then it takes away the um, then it takes away the ability entirely. Uh, but I think the upside on Evoker is still really strong. Uh, it's an inconsistent card and so I think it can feel not good, but when it hits, it hits so hard. Because um, mm-hmm. like we were just talking about Thorncrawler, uh, Evoker is Thorncrawler's worst, worst nightmare. A Ruinous Burst does one damage to two targets of your choice. And uh, that means it can reveal two stealth units. It can ping something like a Glen Sapper or a revealed Thorncrawler. Like there's a, just a lot of things that a Ruinous Burst can do in this format. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you don't have two good targets, and that's that's just uh, part of part of life. Uh, but I think it's really good often enough. And also, it's a really the thing about um, the way uh, the stealth units stats are distributed is that most stealth units for fire have a much higher um, strength than health like there are three twos and three ones and that kind of thing and so most of the time it is safe to do two damage to um, to like somebody who's playing stone scar and plays a stealth unit that'll probably kill it it won't kill evoker though they'll, they'll have wasted a card <laughs> right and no, that, I know that sounds like a corner case, but it's relevant, you know. To that's the strength of stealth units is that they, if your opponent get guesses wrong and commits a card to it, um, then you've gained an advantage. Yeah. All right, and then uh, we we added one second tier, and this is just uh, so we can bring more cards in and kind of just show this line, and that is. Cards we would take over Open Way Supplier, which is the two-time 1-1 that gives you plus one maximum power, as well as um, gives the next unit in your deck killer. Yeah, and I have a really hard time evaluating Open Way Supplier. I know it's time's best common, but it sometimes doesn't feel like it is. but it, I think it's it's something where I'm like, oh, I'm seeing a late open weight supplier. I probably should get into time. That's how I feel about it now. And pack one, pick one. I'm unlikely to take open weight supplier. Uh, but there's a range of uncommons that are interesting enough or potentially powerful enough that I would take them over it. Mm-hmm. And so for fire, what are those? My, uh, you want me to read them? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And so the the two, <laughs> the <laughs> just my mouth just failed me. No. Okay. <laughs> and so the two fire commons that Haps would take over Openway Supplier are uh, number one, Awakened Instigator, which is the three fire two two, 
When you attack with exactly two units, Awakened Instigator gets plus three attack. And uh, Challenger's Axe, which is the five fire fire plus three plus three weapon, summon, give one of your other units plus three plus three this turn. Yeah, these are cards that are kind of subtle, actually. Awakened Instigator is a weird card because it, it can, you, you can trade, uh, it trades with anything, <laughs> basically. Like yeah, anything mine mostly two. trade with tutus. But, it, uh... it, it trades with tutus, but what you do with Awakened Instigator is you don't attack with it immediately. You attack with other things while you're buffing the Instigator until your opponent doesn't have any small things to block with anymore, and then you can attack with your Instigator into a unit of any size and trade with it. Um, yeah. Or you can give it evasion somehow and win with it, but it's mostly uh, it's mostly a card that, that, um, that directs things from the back lines until you're finally ready to do something with it. Uh, and it plays really well that way. I've seen it do some really crazy things. So um, it's mostly because it's uh, potentially really great. And I could be totally wrong with it because it kind of seems like Instigator isn't an exciting card, but uh, I think it plays a little better than it reads. And Challenger's Axe is just a massive amount of power to put on the board. And if I'm playing an aggressive deck, which I usually am, um, Challenges Axe is basically saying, no, you're going to lose this turn. <laughs> and if you, even if you stay alive this turn, I still have given plus three, plus three to something permanently. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I think I would, I, I would have described Awakened Instigator the opposite way, where it reads <laughs> more powerful than it's played for me, sort of just because you're like, oh, wow, this gets, could get possibly so big. But uh, I have not figured out how to couple that with the evasion to make it great yet. So it's been a little bit underwhelming to me, uh, though I still probably take it over uh, Open Way Supplier, like you said. Uh, Challenger's Axe, though, I don't know if I, I would do that. It's just, I, I lost to this uh, recently, but it still seems like, you know, it's double influence, it's expensive. It does put a lot of stats on the board, um, so that's good, you know, um, but I don't know if I'm, I, I, I think when I consider cards close, you know, I take the cheaper card, which would be, uh, open way supplier in this case. Yeah. I think challenges acts is deceptively powerful. Uh, cause it looks like a, uh, it looks like a three, three weapon for five, which usually isn't good. Uh, it just is. I don't know. Uh, in play, it seems like it, it, it ends the game more often than not. Yeah, essentially, no, I, it doesn't end at that turn, maybe, but it it essentially ends the game. Yeah, and, and I and can here's so a quick. Oh, sorry. Oh, you can go. Here's a quick tip for challenges acts because I've seen people do this wrong a lot in games. Um, if you have a small unit and a large unit, put the challengers axe on the small unit and give the bonus to the large unit because then you're creating two threats that your opponent has to deal with permanently. If you put the Challenger's Axe on the large unit uh, and then give the temporary bonus to the small unit, then your opponent chump blocks the large unit, maybe kills it with a removal spell next turn, and ignores the small unit for the rest of the game like they were doing originally. <laughs> you want to make two big threats, not one massive threat and one irrelevant threat. The top uh, time on comments in our spreadsheet are Behold the Truth and Sticky Fly Trap. And uh, one interesting thing to note, I didn't mention that, like how many are appearing, but uh, Fire and Time have essentially the same amount of decks in um, 
in our seven one spreadsheet, but the time uncommons are appearing twice as much as the fire uncommons, which either means that the fire uncommons are less, sort of less important to a seven win fire deck than the time uncommons. Like the decks are really relying on these time uncommons or more of the fire uncommons are good. And so it's more diluted. You know, it, there's two possible explanations for that. Yeah, but just a, a of, just an interesting note that I hadn't noticed before. Yeah, that is interesting. I think it's striking because the top time uncommon is Behold the Truth, which does something that no other card does. Like, you can't throw another card in and say, oh, well, that's going to more or less do what Behold the Truth does. Uh, Behold the Truth is the reason that time decks win games. <laughs> um so Behold the Truth uh, is a one-time spell that says your units get plus one, plus one, and overwhelm this turn. Uh, but it has an Amplify 6, which is the real spell. Your units get an additional plus three, plus three this turn. So if you cast it for seven, everything that you have uh, gets plus four, plus four, and overwhelm this turn. Uh, and you probably win. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a good card. And it plays well with a, a few of Time's main commons. Open Way Supplier is a unit that gives you uh, more power. Um, and Nurturing Sentinel is a unit that draws a sigil from your deck. And so they help you both put a small unit on the board and uh, and get you towards the point where you can cast a seven power Behold the Truth. Yes, and Time does have big units, which love Overwhelm. They do indeed, yeah. Yeah, if you play Populous Controller and your opponent can't deal with it immediately and your next play is Behold the Truth, then you probably win that game. Yep. And then uh, you, in your list of cards you would take over Blitzstone, have a card that didn't make the top two. But um, and what Yeah, is I have Growing Sludge on there. Um, and, and that may be wrong. I don't know. I haven't played a lot of time so far. Uh, and I, so I might, I might still be overestimating this card. But Growing Sludge is the five-time one-one with stealth, and at the start of your turn, if Growing, Growing Sludge is still hidden, it gets plus four, plus four. And I can understand why people would be shying away from this card because if you cast a five-power one-one and then it gets revealed or killed immediately, it does feel like you did nothing with your life. Uh, but I've had it doesn't take long for Sludge to become the largest thing on the board if they can't remove it. So I've uh, it seems like it's been pretty strong for me, and the times when it, the times when it doesn't work when it gets removed, um, are are just kind of like the price of playing a risky card. <laughs> yeah, no, I I totally agree. I I think I would take this card above uh, uh which one call it uh Blitzstone because your opponent has one turn of sorts to deal with it. You know, like by the beginning of your next turn, it's growing to a five, five and that's very difficult to block in this format. And so yeah. there's not a, a lot of things as large as this, certainly not for five power. And then if you wait one more turn, you now have a nine, nine, which is really, really big. That's usually at the point, the point at which I reveal it. If I'm on a stalled board, uh, yes. It's like I have a nine nine now. Now 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 the onus is on you to figure things out for yourself, opponent. <laughs> yeah. 
So so those are the two cards you have in your tier one slot. And I, I agree with that. And then so in your open way supplier tier, you have Sticky Flytrap. Yes. Uh, I can sympathize with folks who are putting that just at the top. Uh, uh, but I still think it's mostly a 3-3. So Sticky Flytrap is a three-time 3-3 three, three Mandrake uh, with stealth. And its ultimate ability is when an enemy unit with flying attacks, reveal Sticky, sticky Flytrap to make enemy units unable to fly this turn. Um, and that's a good ability. I don't think it's like crazy better than just a 3-3 three, three with stealth. Uh, because there really aren't that many flyers. Um, you're basically sticking it to Primal, which is already having a bad day. Yeah, maybe that's why I'm uh, overvaluing this card slightly, because I think I would have taken it over Blitzstone, and maybe that's just because in that game I was talking to about with Cosimo, one of the units they played was the uh, the sprite that play that stuns one of your units permanently. Uh, the oh, one shoot sure. for two. Yeah, 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 the classic. And that was very painful. That was a very painful way to lose. They drew that off of their Dragon Eye. And then I I then observed Dwiggy play. And uh, Dwiggy was playing Cosmo. And then Cosmo played that sprite. And then Dwiggy had a sticky flytrap in hand. And I was like, man, I really wish my deck had had a sticky <laughs> flytrap. Sure, sure. That would have been great. Yeah. Um. But I, I do think like Tang doesn't have a ton of ways to deal with flyers, so having a card like this is pretty nice. But like you said, there probably isn't that many flyers in the format, and so while it does feel bad, uh, it might not be worth just playing essentially a three three for three that you're not attacking with because you're hoping to get value. Oh, it's <laughs> still a but it's still a good card. I'm just not taking it uh, above the top commons in the format. Yeah, no, that, uh, I guess it that's randomly what I mean, is. I'm yeah. Just, I, yeah, I'm in no point in my description saying it's a bad card, but I'm just saying like you know, like if like, this thing eats your your opponent's turn one Glen Sapper a couple of turns later, <laughs> like that's great. You know, it yeah. just sort of will randomly hose certain decks, uh, and and that's fine. It's I think it's a and and the fact that it has stealth and then it just kind of sits on the board uh, means that your opponent has to deal with it. And the fact that flytrap exists at all means that uh, people have to be careful when they have flyers and your opponent has an unrevealed stealth unit. Um, so you know it's a it's it's still a good card, and I'm happy to play one uh, certainly over the three three common that doesn't have an ability. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, and I'm 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 pretty excited to see one if there's no other exciting cards in the pack. Uh, I just put it in the second tier um, of uncommons. Yeah, no, I I I agree with you. Yeah, um, you've convinced me. Thank you. All right, so then on to justice. Uh, the top two Justice Commons in our spreadsheet so far are Sky Sweeper and Orange Jailer. So Sky Sweeper is a three Justice 2-2 two -two with Stealth Ultimate. At the start of your turn, discard a card and reveal Sky Sweeper to get it plus two, plus two in flying. And then uh, Orange Jailer is a three Justice 3-3. Three -three. When you attack with exactly two units, Orange Jailer gets plus one, plus one. Amplify one, play detain. Yeah. So both of these make your um, 
pick above Blitzstone less. They certainly do. They're both real good. Uh, I think Orin Jailer is the best. Uh, or the count is exactly the same for these. We've seen 24 copies of each, so they're not really in order. I think Jailer is a slam dunk pick no matter what you're doing. Um, it's a 3-3 three, three for 3 uh, that grows and and uh, scales really well because it can neuter your entire opponent's board if you have the power to do it. Jailer is just a ridiculous card. Um, and Skysweeper is less of a threat than I thought it was when I originally saw the card. I was like, oh, it's just it's it's just a flying version <laughs> of Barricade Basher. That can't be healthy. Uh, but as it turns out, there's enough ways of keeping it from even using its ability because opponents are going to want to uh, reveal stealth units. And there's enough removal that outright kills it, like with Topple and that kind of thing, uh, that it's it doesn't always take over every game that you play it in. It's not immediately a 5-5 the way Basher is. It's not even immediately a 4-4 flyer. Starts off as a two-two, which means that Blitzstone kills it, Detonation Cannon kills it. Uh, if it's revealed and in any way, it's a two-two forever. Um, so it's it's vulnerable. But of course, it's very good if it turns into a four-four flyer and it's unanswered. So it's still a very strong pick. Yeah, and discard has less of the disadvantage this format than with Basher yeah, in the last format. Yeah, there's things you actively want to discard. All right, and so then you also have a couple other cards on your list. I do. I like Tower Inspector, uh, even though it's also a card that's vulnerable. Um, that's the 2-1 for 2 Justice, uh, and it, it has plus 2, plus 2 if you've played a unit this turn, and it has plus 2, plus 2 if you've played a Relic this turn. And, you know, you want to play units most turns, so it's usually attacking as a 4-3, and that's a very good attacker uh, for an investment of 2 Justice. And because I prize... Uh, aggressive cards in this format so highly uh, there aren't that many amazing two drops like you can't get six Ursa squadrons anymore like you could at the beginning of the format so Tower Inspector is a, a great thing to to put on too the only problem is that sometimes you've got an Ursa squadron and a Tower Inspector in your hand and which one do you play first Tower Inspector does more damage but Ursa squadron has Warcry what do you do what do you do it's a tough question yeah <laughs> Anyway, uh, that's one, uh, and and like everything in the world kills it when it's on your opponent's turn because it's a two-one at that time, and like it sucks to get Varus favored <laughs> after you've played a Tower Inspector. But again, you play a risky card, you accept the risks. Yeah, that's been my impression of Tower Inspector. I've been a little bit unimpressed with Tower Inspector because it just like dies to a stiff breeze. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually haven't even <laughs> attacked with it very often. So, yeah. I mean, I guess it is, like, it, except in the case of Vars Favor, taking a, a card or some, you know, your your opponent is giving it mine. But I think I still take Blitzstone over Tower Inspector because Blitzstone is also a two-drop and is making your future cards, I don't know, that much better. Yeah, but, that's fair. But I... But I, I I, they're cl- they're close in my mind. I think that what makes the difference for me is that shift that's taking place for me uh, in, in my approach to the format, where I want uh, I want solid two drops so badly. Uh, even I know Blitzstone is kind of a two drop, but it doesn't add to your board. Um, uh, I want good threats so so much that um, that Tower Inspector stands out because then I don't have to play like a three two. Uh, vanilla for two 
or something. Um, but you know, that's my approach to the format too. Blitzstone is is sort of a better card if it's not format dependent. All right, and then, and then the other one is Off Book Officer, which is a four uh, justice justice two one with double damage, and on its summon, uh, you can either silence an enemy unit or play a one one steadfast deputy with Aegis, and it's just a versatile card. Uh, I mean, you can see on on Discord, uh, people ask what their first pick should be all the time in a in a in a confusing pack, and a lot of people will recommend Off Book Officer because it trades with basically anything. It's got um, effectively four power, and if you give it any kind of weapon or boost, then it's got double damage, so it's very threatening. And being able to silence things is good. Just an incredibly versatile card. Yeah. Yep, silence always overperforms. It is a little weird because it is so small and um, it's double justice. And so one of the we well, th those are two separate points. So it is a little hard to cast being a four cost double justice card. And then also the fact that it's small is a little weird because you're like, oh, well, it's attacking as a four attack unit. But usually if you silence your opponent's unit, then they can then just like it's no longer useful for them, so they're fine uh, using it to chump block and kill your off book officer. You know, like if you silence an open way supplier or something, then they're like, oh, well now I have this one one, and it sucks. I don't have maximum power, but you can never attack with your <laughs> off. -book yeah, off book officer, officer is a bit of a defensive unit in that way because uh, it is hard to attack with it unless you have like. A rune of illusion, and then you can gain eight life. Um, <laughs> or wait, no, not eight. It was just four. Four. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, just four life. Well, you probably played Iona's Fury on it first. Yeah, I probably did. I probably did that <laughs> in my deck that can do that. Yeah. No, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I just find that it. Um, I mean, you you sometimes don't end up attacking with the off book officer ever, but being able to silence something and then still have a, a unit in play that can at least block very well uh, is usually good enough. No, you, these kind of uh, summon silence unit uh, units are sort of my safety blanket, and uh, I think are always just like a, a rock solid unit to pick. Yeah, I think so. All right, and then cards you would take uh, over. I get it. Cards you would take over open way supplier. Yeah, that's um, what I meant. <laughs> uh, you have two cards here. I do. Uh, one, I'm going to start with the second one here, Overthrow, which is uh, a four justice, justice fast spell that says kill an enemy unit or site with cost four or more. And of course, in limited, you're not going to be killing sites very often. But uh, So this basically is a way to kill large units. Um, and I like this card. I want to like it more, but uh, since Topple is a common and it's in the format and you're killing basically the same things with Topple that you would be killing with Overthrow, it's not that important of a card to pick up. Uh, but I still like it because it does have fast speed and and uh, there's a lot of times where, you're, where you'll be in a board state where you're a little ahead on board. You attack, you leave up your power for overthrow. Your opponent plays a large unit, you kill it on their turn, and then you attack in for lethal. That'll happen all the time. Uh, so it's a good card. Um, I'm just not picking it higher than the best commons in the format. Okay. 
And then the other one is Pumpworks Engineer, which is a card that feels a lot worse for me now than it did at the beginning of the format. It's a 2-2 for 3 Justice. It has Warcry and Stealth. And when Pumpworks Engineer goes to your Void, you may pay 2 to draw the top unit or weapon of your deck. And that reads very well, because when you have something with Warcry, uh, all you want to do is actually draw the card that got the Warcry bonus, and Pumpworks Engineer does that. Uh, it's just that it's a 2-2 two, two for 3, and I find that it's very hard to actually get a clean attack in with with this thing. Your opponent can block it easily <laughs> um, and usually swallow it whole, and then you have to pay two of your hard-earned power to actually draw the card, which is not insignificant, especially early in the game. Uh, it's, a, it's a good top deck uh, in the sense that you can at least cantrip it, but when you're top decking a 2-2, even with Warcry, even one that replaces itself, it often doesn't have that much impact on the board. So it just hasn't played as well as I wanted it to. Yeah, I could see that. I think uh, maybe up until this conversation, I would have taken it over Blitzstone. But, it, you know, because it is a Warcry unit that replaces itself and... Whenever my opponent plays it, it always feels like awkward for me. Like I'm like, well, I gotta trade with it. If I all if my board is you know small, then I'm like, well, I can't just keep letting this attack. So I, I do have to make the trade, and then they get the draw card. So it's like they didn't lose. You know, they're two for wanting me. Um, but I but I don't really like any of the other. Uh, three power two twos, so that should also be probably saying something. Yeah, I think it's relatively easy to outclass this thing on the board, and then the fact that it draws a card uh, isn't that huge an advantage. I'm not saying it's a terrible card, it's still a good uncommon, but again, not over the very top uh, commons. I just definitely wouldn't take it over Blitzstone at this point. All right, and then on to the top uncommons, where we personally have the biggest disagreement. Um, but the spreadsheet has right now Grizzled Guard as number one and Cyber Skimmer as number two. And um, one of those you have in your as in your pick over Blitzstone, and that is Grizzled Guard, which is the five primal four four. It has Aegis and Stealth and then Ultimate. When Grizzled Guard blocks, reveal it to give your blocking units plus two health this turn. Yeah, I think this is a really strong card. It's the closest thing to like a brick wall that you can put in front of an aggro deck that the format has. Uh, obviously, it blocks very well if it's already got stealth. But what it also does is um, is it plays around a very common tactic of saving your removal like topple and so forth um, for your opponent's first big blocker uh, because it has Aegis. And I've had people try to uh, topple my grizzled guard a few times and that never feels good for your opponent <laughs> when they when their topple just fizzles essentially uh, and it does reveal the grizzled guard so it doesn't get the health bonus anymore um, but if you just ate an entire removal spell with your five drop that's great yeah no I, I can definitely see how this card is good uh my my joke about how primal is the biggest disagreement because I don't think I would take any of the primal uncommons over Blitzstone. So I don't know if I would take Grizzled Guard. Part of it is it kind of reminds me of aggressive 
Ursine from Dark Frontier, set six, so quite a while ago. Uh, and it was a four primal primal, four three with Onslaught. Your other units get plus two health. Yeah. Oh, that was a pretty good card. Yeah. The card never did any. I was never able to take great advantage of this plus two health thing. And so that kind of puts me off of, of this uh, five cost four four. Oh, yeah. No, wait. Actually, no, it wasn't a good card, was it? Um, yeah. It was reminding me of a totally different card. Uh, like maybe the art reminded me of it, but it's not a good card. Yeah, I can understand but some that. People did like aggressive or sign? So okay. Uh, yeah, I mean this. I, I would say that grizzled guard is uh, much more clear on 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 its function than the earth sign was because aggressive earth sign gives health to units that have already survived an attack, which feels a little superfluous, I guess. Whereas Grizzled Guard is just very good at at, at blocking, <laughs> yeah. And then also is a meat is a mid sized unit that still has Aegis, and so it can't be removed easily. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's tough to say that I would take it over Blitzstone for real uh, because I am trying to draft a really aggressive deck, but I still feel like it plays so well that. Um, See, what happens if you're playing a very, very aggressive deck is you'll be in a racing situation a lot, and usually your opponent is incorrect for trying to race you, but sometimes, uh, you know, they can surprise you, and then if your 5-drop is something like Grizzled Guard, uh, it, it, it shifts the race so fast, because your opponent will lose units on their next attack, that... Um, that it is the correct thing to do. Because part of what you're doing if you are in a primal deck is you're attacking in the air and you're um, and you're trying to dominate the ground so that your opponent can't attack back effectively. Uh, and Grizzled Guard just does that job extraordinarily well. Yes. So uh, would you say the same thing about the, your other primal card you would take over Blitz... quote-unquote take over Blitzstone? I would definitely take... Merciless Officer over Blitzstone. Um, and that's because I really like... So I uh, really love all of the Intrigue cards. Intrigue is the ability that turns a 3-power stealth unit into a 5-power stealth unit and gives it a little bonus if you have 5-power available when you play your stealth unit. Uh, Merciless Officer is a 4-2 with three for 3 primal, um, but uh, and it has stealth. And if you have 5-power when you play it, then it gets plus 3 health and Berserk, which makes it a 4-5 with Berserk. Uh, I think this card's great for its versatility. If you need to play it as a 4-2, um, then it trades with anything. But if you play it as a, uh, if you play it as a 4-5, uh, a world of possibilities opens up. For one thing, it's larger than almost any other 5-drop, and people usually don't expect it, because uh, most 5-drops are 4-4s are or four smaller. So that if they attack into the Merciless Officer, it eats them alive. And then having Berserk can be pretty insane if you attack with this in Stormhalt Concoction, for example, that it's attacking for 14 damage in the air. Um, it's uh, it, it's the po it constantly represents the possibility of a massive amount of damage, so your opponent has to treat it with respect. Um, and uh, I, I've just found that it plays very well. I usually play it for 5 power rather than 3 power, but the fact that you can play it for 3 power... Uh, especially if you've started off very aggressively. Uh, I mean, a 4-2 for 3 is pretty big. So um, it's... Uh, I, I just think it's good. Um, yeah. 
yeah, it's one of the things that draws me into Primal. Um, and I, I, I value Intrigue very highly, being able to play something at either 3 power or 5 power. I think it makes a card really quite good, because um, being able, if you top deck a 3-drop, normally you can't play it for 5 power with, with a huge bonus, and you can't yeah. with this card. Yeah, th this card is kind of interesting to me, because I think it is deceptively powerful, and I think you feel it when your opponent plays this card it's it's in it's interesting because i think it doesn't read very powerful because it's not doing anything trick you know like there's no real text to it i mean it it is tricky in the sense that it has stealth but you're like it's really essentially just like a five cost four or five berserk um which you're like, well, that's not that exciting. But I, again, in the context of the format, the fact that it is stealth and that, that adds a layer of trickiness, I think makes this card pretty powerful. And if you have multiples of this, like it's so hard for your opponent to get through because even though it has Berserk, it's a great blocker. Yeah, it blocks really well for a turn and then it attacks well the next turn. You know, what else do you want from a card? Yeah. I think right. that one useful way of looking at stealth uh, is that it gives your it gives your opponent an opportunity to make one really bad decision. Yes. Um, okay, so then what primal cards would you take over Openway Supplier? And I could be wrong, and I'm not valuing this card high enough. But Cyber Skimmer, uh, that's uh, one primal one one flyer, uh, granted in bird. And you pay two and sacrifice Cyber Skimmer to draw two cards if you've attacked with exactly two units this turn. Uh, I, I mean, I can't defend rating it lower than our, our spreadsheet does, really, because it is good. It's a card that can draw two cards for two power, and it's not that hard to activate um, its ability, especially when you already have one efficient flyer, the Cyber Skimmer itself. And playing a playing a one one flyer on turn one is fine. You get in some damage with it, um, especially if you can if you can get value off of it later. Uh, I certainly will pack as many of these into a Skycrag deck as I possibly can for the same reason that I would play Ransack, uh, which is having efficient card draw in an aggressive deck is totally fine. Having inefficient card draw in an aggressive deck not so good, um, but having efficient card draw, which is drawing two cards for two, great. Yeah, or even having like uh, inefficient card draw that's also attached to a body. So you know you are paying three in in the end, but the fact that it's split up into two payments and you hopefully attacked a few times with your one one, uh, you know, tur yeah. turns it into a good proposition. And I think that's the the. The Skycrag thing that you mentioned is probably the reason that it is the number two uncommon in the spreadsheet. First off, there has not been a ton of Primal decks submitted, but Skycrag has been the most common Primal deck submitted. Yeah, I'm responsible for two of those decks, I think. Um, and I don't know how many Cyber Skimmers I played, but I think it was a non-zero number. Yeah, exactly. All right, and then this next card that you have here is pretty interesting to me uh, yeah cover from the storm uh it's for primal primal um it's a spell that does three damage to each non-hidden unit and that's what it does it's a sweeper i've gotten really blown out by this card but i don't know it still seems tough for me to play at least in the decks that i've been playing so far yeah and i don't know 
honestly, it doesn't fit into my uh, my ultra aggro approach to the format at all. Um, and so this is where I'm putting it, given the idea that there's a way to play non-aggro successfully. Uh, I think it's a very effective in is a it's a very effective removal card um, if you are trying to control the board and that's the goal of your deck. I find it very difficult to play this card like just competently. I've I've had it in my deck and then like blown myself out with it because I just refused to like understand what it actually did. <laughs> like my I try to kill hidden units that my opponent has with it, even though it said that's all that it says on the card is that it can't do that. Uh, it's like a card that really like messes with my brain more than any other. Uh, but I have faith that it's a fundamentally powerful card uh, if you have a deck that can engineer it. And Primal has a lot of good stealth units. And like, say you're playing Fel and you're going to have a lot of good stealth units. So Cover from the Storm does seem like it should be very good if you can like hang around, play your stealth units, Cover from the Storm to kill some of your opponent's relevant units, attack with your stealth units. Now you don't have to worry about them being non-hidden anymore because you already cast your cover from the storm. Seems like a lot of hoops to jump through, but it still has to be a powerful card, right? Just three damage to everything. I guess, but I think Cyber Combustion showed us that it's not necessarily a powerful. I know. Yeah, card. and that had the same problem because it sometimes just wouldn't kill some of your opponent's units because they were Grenadines. Yeah, and it's it's sort of even slightly worse in this... It, it, in a sense, because every color has some pretty good stealth units as compared to with Grenadines. Grenadines was sort of locked to two or three colors. Yeah. But in this, like really any deck can have a good stealth unit. So realistically, this isn't uh, this is this is a pick that I, d I haven't done the research or science for. And um, if I'm really trying to go for win percentage, I'm probably still taking open way supplier over this. But I want this to be a format where cover from the cover from the storm is a legitimate tool in a slower deck, and it's kind of a, a speculative uh, pick in that sense. All right, and then on to shadow. So, on to shadow. Uh, the top two shadow uncommons are hypnotic Valkyrie and D'Angelo's Might. So hypnotic Va Valkyrie is the five cost Shadow Shadow 4-4 four, four with Flying Amplified 2. You play Madness. And then D'Angelo's Might is uh, a 5 Shadow Shadow um, spell. Draw cards equal to the highest attack among your units. Yeah, so Hypnotic Valkyrie is easy. Uh, an easy pick for one of the best uncommons in the set. It's just a classic, strong uncommon from the days of Magic, you know, where 4-4 four, four flyers for 5 are exactly what you want from your uncommons. Uh, and then this has a game-breaking ability on top of that. It's one of the best top decks in the whole limited format because uh, you make your 4-4 four, four flyer for 5, and then however much extra power you've got, uh, you get to hit your opponent with their own units. And exactly. it's just it's just obviously good, and it hasn't played any differently than you would expect it to. It plays super well. All right, then how about D'Angelo Mike? Well, um, this can draw a whole bunch of cards. Um, I've had this I've had this in my hand 
um, when I've had no units on board that have more than two strength, and then it doesn't feel like a super powerful card. Uh, when it is powerful, though, it is unbelievable. Because uh, if you draw five cards with your one card, um, it's really tough to win that game, to lose that game after that. Uh, but I don't. I probably wouldn't put more than one uh, Danglo might in my deck uh, because I don't like being stuck with them. And I probably that's probably where I would disagree with a lot of other people drafting this format, and even people who are doing really well with this format. Uh, because uh, I think people have have had such like strong results with it, you know. Like it's hard to it's hard to forget games where you draw five or six cards off of, of off of your draw spell. But I do think that it's because it doesn't affect the board directly, and because there are times when um, this is only going to draw two or three cards, and then it's not such an impressive thing that I don't want to, like, clog my deck up with multiple copies of it. Um, unless I have a lot of um, very high-strength units, and this is going to draw four or more cards almost every time. Uh, and I guess that's where Thorncrawler comes in, because it is a four-power uh, unit for that only costs three, So and it has stealth, so it might survive a couple turns, and then your might will draw four cards, so... Uh, it really depends on the makeup of your deck, how many copies of this that you want to play. However, I will take the first copy of Might over Blitzstone all the time, because having one in my deck is awesome. Yes. Yeah, I agree. It's just powerful, but I agree with everything you said. It, it would scare me to have multiple copies in uh, in a fire in or in any deck. It's yeah, just not. Could... It's just not. A, it's not doing enough. And and you, because it is a card that can be dead, having multiple copies feels extra dangerous because you are then more likely to draw it when it is dead. And because you have fewer units, because you have two D'Angelo might in it, um, or multiple copies of D'Angelo might taking away from from your unit count or whatever, you're less likely to have a unit on board. And then and you have a Glen Sapper. I do have Glen Sapper on there. Uh, it's one shadow, one, one with flying. Uh, it's ultimate abilities. You pay six and discard your hand to pay, uh, to play two shadow sea slimes uh, that have strength and health equal to the number of units in your void. So this is just a, I mean, it's an evasive unit that you can play on turn one and also um, a game-ending card if the game goes long at all. So I just think it kind of does everything that you want it to do. I've found that it plays well enough that it's an uncommon that I'm excited about. It can do occasionally really stupid things because playing two really large units late in the game often is a is a good way of winning that game. Yeah, no, it's an incredible top deck, which is which is I think what makes it an an amazing card. And if your opponent uses a removal spell on your one drop, awesome, great, you've done a great job. <laughs> yes. All right. So then, what uh, shadow uncommons are you taking over open way supplier? So this is probably uh, not a pick that everyone would make, but stalking assassin. Uh, is a 3-2 for 3 shadow with stealth. Uh, its ultimate ability is to pay 1, discard a card, and reveal Stalking Assassin to deal 3 damage to the enemy player and gain 3 life. 
this is Reach in an aggressive deck and a discard enabler. Um, and I think in a set that didn't have so many uh, good results from from discarding cards, maybe this wouldn't be so good. But I think in a in a in a format where you do want to be able to discard things at will, uh, this is a this is a really good one. Um, I found that it plays really well, and draining three from your opponent is not irrelevant. Um, it can really swing a race. Yes. Yeah. I I don't know if I <laughs> I like this card. I'm still Fair not enough. a a buyer. I think one of the things that is that while you get to choose when you discard a card to re- to deal the three damage and gain the three life, uh, if you're not doing it immediately, it's not attacking. You know, so so wouldn't you're going to do just as much? Like if you have no card you really want to discard, then then you're just like holding this, you know, you know, like w- waiting to hope to plunder or, you know, to use But you don't it. have to wait. That's the thing is it's, ver- it's, is it's versatile. You can, it can just be a three, two that has no abilities and then you attack with it. But yeah, I know. Top... But then, then you just put a, a three cost three, two in your deck. I don't know. But, but it's a three, two that can drain your opponent for, th- for, for three or yeah. can discard something when you want it to. Um, you're looking at it as a, a card that might not do everything that it says on the card, but it's a card that can do those things, and it can do yeah. them when you want. No, I agree. I guess I'm just talking about it as, like, I think of this as, like, a filler card that might have some upside, and so it's still not really uh, in Uncommon that I'm excited to pick. Like, if it was, like, up against a couple other of Shadow's medium commons, then yes, I would I would take this card. But I don't know if I would even. I'm not. If I'm pack one picking this pack one, I'm not happy if I'm pack one pick one picking this. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm. 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 I'm okay with it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's. Uh, that is definitely a difference. All yeah. right, and then. You have a outmatch here. Yeah, too. and actually, I think this is less defensible uh, than than stalking assassin. Uh, outmatch is the three shadow spell that kills an enemy unit without the highest strength among all units. So that's a fun card to do math with in your head. Um, but it, yeah, outmatch. Uh, I mean, it's nice to be able to kill not the largest thing on the board, especially if you have the largest thing on the board and you want to kill one of your opponent's units. Um, so it's good. I think it's a useful card, uh, but it's often not like I generally want to kill the biggest thing on the board if my opponent has it. And so I would rather have a, a several copies of Topple before my first copy of un- of Outmatch. Uh, but there's certainly cases where like your opponent makes you know like a one one with Deadly, and you would like to be able to uh, continue attacking, please, so you can just kill this or whatever. Or they've got some weird utility card that needs to be outmatched, like a you know like the like the Rakano 2-2 that gives Warcry 2 every time, every turn, or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's a useful card, and I would take it fairly high and play it in my Shadow decks. Um, it's just not like a card that I'm excited about taking yeah. one pick one. And so do you have outmatched higher than the other Shadow conditional removal spell, the, uh, the one that kills a unit that's taken damage? Oh yeah, I don't like that card. 
Yeah, because I have a... Yeah, I think I would have that card higher than Outmatch, but I haven't really played with either yet. Yeah, we had a discussion about that card on Discord. Um, uh, what's what's it called? Having a bad day? <laughs> something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's called something like that. Uh, and I I think my... Oh, it's called Turn for, a War- Turn for the Worse. Uh, one shadow fast spell, kill an enemy unit that's taken damage this turn. Uh, I would compare it to cards that give units deadly, especially ones that give them deadly temporarily. So it, something like Cobra Gear um, that turn a small unit into a unit that can kill a larger unit uh, mid-combat. I think Turn for the Worse is similar to those. It costs one, which actually makes it better than something like Cobra Gear, I think. But also it doesn't scale um, and... Uh, I, I think any card that has inherent disadvantage to it is something that I'm going to be wary of. Uh, I've certainly gotten, like, taken... I've, I've certainly gotten gotten by turn for the worse with my opponents playing it. Um, but that's mostly because I forget that it exists. <laughs> and yeah. so, like, when somebody attacks their 3-2 in, into my 7-7, seven, seven, I'm like, why in the heck are they doing this? And then, like, I block it, and I eat their 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 unit. And then I'm like, oh, uh, I guess they just made a mistake, or they were bluffing. And then they turn for the worst. I'm like, oh, right, turn for the worst exists. Yeah, uh, but and I, I mean, you still, still feel like they used two true. cards to kill my one card, and it wasn't that relevant to who wins the game. So it just hasn't played like extraordinarily well. Uh, but, however, Turn for the Worst does work with spells and relic weapons, so it's a little more versatile than something like Over Gear. Yeah. All right. Then the, the only other card that I mentioned that I that I kind of like is uh, Send a Message, which is the five shadow shadow uh, spell that I guess I should I I'll just try to do it from memory. That <laughs> good luck. There's a whole novel written on that card. <laughs> yeah. The five shadow shadow spell. The enemy player must sacrifice a unit and discard a card. If it goes to your void for any reason, and you have Shadow Shadow, then you can pay two to play it from your void. Yeah, it looks like it should be a really great card, and I just haven't found that it plays that well. Uh, partly because your opponent does get to choose what they sacrifice, so it often doesn't uh, get what you want it to get, and your opponent gets to choose what they discard. So it gives your opponents a lot of choice. So I think it's really only good if you can if you can discard it and play it for the discount. And it's just kind of hard to engineer that happening. Pick one, pack one. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. The thing that's kind of changed my my mind a little bit is, you know, one, it's like your opponent does get a choice, but it is uh, almost always a two-for-one in one sense or another. And uh, I was playing an opponent, and then they went send... Uh, send a message, and I was like, oh, I could deal with that, you know, that that sucked, but I could just throw away a sigil and sack another unit, and then they played the next turn, send a message, and then I was like, well, I could not, I, I cannot <laughs> deal with two send a messages in a row. That is very powerful. And, uh, and that, and they hard cast both of them for five, and totally stabilized, turned the game around, yeah. and won that game and it kind of just showed me i mean obviously you're not always getting uh two of two uncommons uh in, in your deck and able to play them 
one turn after another, but it, it kind of showed me that it 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 was kind of powerful at five, not just when it was discarded. Yeah, that's fair. I could very well be wrong about it. Um, I'm pretty happy not taking it that high, um, but there's certainly decks where I would I would be happy to see it. Uh, and and it's a popular card. I see people playing it all the time. Um, I just haven't encountered it being really great very mm-hmm. often. Yeah. Obviously, it's potentially awesome. Uh, it's a extremely strong card at its best in its best case and i know i'm kind of inconsistent with the way that i seem to be evaluating cards because i seem to be evaluating cards like stalking assassin at their best um but i am consistent if you look at it as i uh, as my general philosophy on evaluating cards is if they give you a lot of options they tend to be very good if they give your opponent a lot of options they tend to be weak right yeah, and then uh, there were some multicolor uncommons that you wanted to talk about. I think we won't spend a ton of time on no. these, but no, we don't get need to get into them. The whole reason that the whole thing with the multicolor uncommons is that they tend to be very, very good, but I don't take them that high because it's a two faction format. It's not that easy to splash, and I'm much more comfortable taking strong single faction cards before uh, before I start getting into powerful multi faction ones. Yes, and I I think with this, this is a a, a good lesson uh, because there there's just no multi faction uncommons in this format uh, on the level of Metal Fang or Deathwing. What was the other one? Deathwing. Yeah, on the level of Metal Fang or Deathwing that are just like so powerful, it was worth taking the chance for. Uh, the the multicolor uncommons in this format are good. You know, some of them support uh, some themes that the color pair are doing, but and some of them, I think you are happy pack one pick oneing. Oh yeah, if there's not any of the premium commons in a pack, I'm happy to pick up like a tandem training or a searing strike first pick, and then just sort of sort of hoping that I get there. Right, but but none of them are stronger than the premium comments i don't pack one pick one no no there's nothing that stands out the way death strike uh death wing or or metal thing did all right and so that uh, includes i just forget just for i'll just read the names of them searing strike tandem training uh disgraced cadet gavel's insight clinging scavenger um collapse foraging and foraging trito yeah are are your favorites and those are all i think when you read them, read as pretty powerful cards. Yeah, and I haven't been surprised uh, dramatically one way or the other. I would say Clinging Scavenger is a little hard to make work, but it is a a, a flyer that grows, so uh, I think it plays fine. Yeah. And I, <laughs> there was one draft where I was not in Xenon and then got passed and then stupidly passed, like, five of these, and I was like... Oh, I really wish I had mm-hmm. picked them up. I've had drafts where, like, the Zen in common, the 2-2 Deadly that has stealth if you have a unit in your void, um, and Clinging Scavengers are just, like, just kind of flowing like water. And I'm like, I bet that's a good deck if I were in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's what happened to me. All right. So then, can you explain this last picture you have in our show notes? Sure. Uh, so this is Camouflage Soldier. Uh it is a factionless card. It's an uncommon. Um, it 
uh, costs three. It has stealth, and it's a two-two. So it also has intrigue. So if you play it, if you play it for five power, it's a four-four. Um, and so I, I can understand why that wouldn't stand out as a good uncommon. But I've played with it plenty, and I think it plays really well because uh, it looks small at whatever cost you uh, you pay for it. Um, it's a 2-2 two, two for 3, or it's a 4-4 four, four for 5. And again, this goes with my philosophy of cards that have versatility just being inherently pretty good. Um, I like the fact that this can be played as a 2-2, two, two, but it can also be played later as a 4-4. Four, four. That's really all it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I just... I am... I don't know if I'm taking this early ever. Yeah, I've I've taken it pretty early and I've been kind of happy with it. Uh, yeah. they, it it's it's been in some strong decks. I'm not actually sure if it's been in some seven win decks of mine. It seems like it must have been, but it is an uncommon, so I haven't played with it a lot. Yeah, I just feel like I I think I'm just un- undervaluing intrigue because I, I just feel like in most most cases I would rather have the Three cost, uh, three one, factionless stealth guard. Oh yeah, no, I don't like that card. <laughs> it can't be played with intrigue. What's the point? <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, it kills it, it kills a three three. So it seems great. It can yeah, sure. No, I've never put that card in my deck, but I have put this card in my deck. What are you gonna do? Yeah, interesting. All right, I I, I like having options more than almost anything. I think that's what we've learned today about me. Yeah, I hate options. <laughs> I guess I can't really back this up, though, because I'm sort of, like, scanning through my um, my winning decks, and I, I can't actually find this card in any of them. So it's probably, it's probably actually not good, and I'm steering people wrong right now. But, you know, that's the risk no, but, that I take when I have opinions. But, you know, that's the... <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, your, your opinions are worth what they pay for them. Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I think even if a, a card doesn't appear in your seven win decks, if if it feels like it plays well for you, I think that is uh, an important tidbit to let people know. And it's definitely a card that I have passed a ton of camouflage soldiers because it's not a card that I would naturally want to put in my deck. Yeah, yeah, I can't find it anywhere in any of my seven wins, so it's probably not really a good. It's probably not really good. Yeah, don't take it over Openway Supplier. Take Openway Supplier first. But I definitely would take it over a bunch of commons uh, just for the versatility of it. And if 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 I'm in either an Elysian or a Felm, like sort of stealth theme kind of a deck where I actually have cards that ping off of stealth, then I'm going to want this actively because Intrigue is a really good ability. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. Are you taking this... Say you're... Yeah, you're taking this over blueprints, right? If you don't know your... Yeah, colors. I mean, it is factionless as well, so that's kind of a nice thing to have a card that you'll probably play um, in your final deck. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, blueprints are tough because I don't normally splash in this format. So the benefit of having uh fixing on a for a faction that i'm not playing yet is pretty minimal for me i take blueprints pretty high once i'm already in those two factions but right um i'm much less likely to splash here than i than i have been in previous formats so um so blueprints are pretty far down my pick order for that reason cool well hats we made we made it to the end of the uncommons we did we did it finally yeah
Yeah. Yeah, we've been putting off the uncommons for a while because there wasn't anything to talk about. Turns out there's always something to talk about. Yeah, we we managed <laughs> we managed to find a way. Soon, let's complain about rares because there's some really obnoxious rares in this format. Yeah, I, and that might be our uh, our next episode. Uh, and that's a that's a fan favorite. So yeah. So something to look forward to, uh, all you fans out there. Indeed. All right, so I think we're going to call it a night there. Thank you again to all our patrons for making this show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can join us in our Discord. There's a link in the show notes. And then also remember to thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts about the show. It gets people. Uh, you know, Reddit's a, a common place for people to find content and to learn content for Eternal, uh, which we are. And so boosting that so it's on the front page for longer is always helpful. And then please don't forget to send in all your 7-1 deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Goodbye. What, what was so funny at the end there? I don't know. I'm just happy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just a happy guy. <laughs>